Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... We are all at home, but we're not alone. We can turn to books and to one another for company. Visit MatthewCWinner.com and click on Shop in order to support independent bookstores while supporting your favorite bookmakers and kidlit podcasters. Same books, same great prices, but this time your dollars make a difference for someone or some indie trying to make a difference. Go to MatthewCWinner.com and click on Shop to choose your next great read, and then watch for it to appear on your doorstep. Happy reading, everyone. How, how much can we communicate we care? How much social-emotional work we can do? How many, you know, um, walls can we, and hurdles can we, you know, overcome if you can't see, you can't be in the room? With the kids, so let's get real, real characters, real voices. A book that feels real, and to borrow a phrase in a highest means of compliment, unput downable. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 587. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm joined by Tori Maldonado, author of What Lane? This is a story about Stefan, a young black boy trying to find his way, one circumstance at a time. It's a story about a neighborhood and a bunch of kids. It's a story about confronting racism, confirmation bias, white privilege, all of it, and what it looks like to be an ally. It's a story, as Tori puts it, for anyone who has to navigate a duality. It's an outstanding story and a really exceptional audiobook to boot. Mad props to Tori on that front. Please welcome my guest, Tori Maldonado, author of What Lane. So my name is Tori Maldonado. If you ask you know, my friends. If you ask my students, I have another name. They call me Mr. T. And all of the adults know what I mean. Um, they usually think of Mr. T with the gold chains. Um, I don't have any gold chains like that. I always joke with my students that if I ever win, you know, an award that can be turned into a chain, then I could start down that path of wearing gold chains like Mr. T. So that's who I am. <laughs> and I'm from Brooklyn. I love the I love picturing a Newberry chain around your neck. <laughs> 
Man, awesome. you know, so so I'm new to the world of writing. Um, yeah, meaning I'm the first person in my family to graduate college, to go to college and graduate college. Mm-hmm. And no one in my family um, has gone on this journey of being a published author. So I've met authors and they said, you, they talk, you know, oh, I hear you're up for the Newberry, or I hear you're up for this, and I hear you're up for this. And I've told so many authors, I'm like, dude, is that a necklace? Like, could you wear that? Like, <laughs> because if I was in your situation, I would totally be rocking those. Yes. I mean, I think, I think you, you can wear it. It is possible to fashion something together. I just haven't seen the right person do it yet. Mm. <laughs> You might be that person. Um, regardless. <laughs> what was that saying? <laughs> we, we are the change. Yeah. We are waiting for. Maybe I'll be part of that change. Yeah, we are the change we're waiting for. Regardless, you write some amazing books. And I know, I know that those children that you teach are there in your mind always when you write. Because I can see it on the page. But I wonder what came first for you, writing or teaching? Yeah, um, I feel like teaching and writing are so entwined. They're they're almost like if you take teaching and, and hold it like clay in one hand, and you take writing and hold it like, like clay in the other hand, it really will almost magnetize together and morph into the same thing. Because at the heart of both, or at the heart of good teaching and good writing, is storytelling. So um, I've always been drawn to storytelling. Uh, when I was a young boy, I remember not liking the books that we were forced to read in school because they erased people who looked like me. They either criminalized people who looked like me, negatively stereotyped people who looked like me, or turned people who looked like me into psychics. And that almost made me unplug from reading. And my mom said, I'll make an agreement with you. We have a deal. I will buy you anything that you read as long as you're reading. And that made me get hooked to comics. So the storytelling in comics, that's one of the the um, energies that I try to infuse into my teaching and writing. And then the next um, layer or phase or wave of storytelling that really hit me and I got swept up in was the storytelling that came from rap artists and from hip hop artists. And it was that you find that energy also infused into my teaching style and also my writing. I love that. How long have you been teaching? Oh man. Okay. So Right now, people are posting online pictures of themselves, you know, graduating high school, yeah. graduating, <laughs> right? <laughs> if, if I, we went back to when I started teaching, um, you would see, I have a baldy, clean-shaven haircut. You would see my hair start to, to grow out, and it would turn into one of those, you know, um, you know, crew cuts, faded on the side, little hair up on top, my afro up top. And then there was another point where, you know, blew out, and I had like that Eddie Murphy look afro you know but i've been i've been at teaching for over 20 years wow amazing that's awesome have you always been in new york i was born and i was raised in new york and i get i've i've been blessed with opportunities to visit some sensational places around the world and everywhere i go people 
they could spot the, my accent. They're like, say say this word orange or say this <laughs> word. Uh, you're from Brooklyn. You're definitely from Brooklyn. So there's no there's no taking the Brooklyn out the boy when it comes to me. I love that. So we've set the backdrop. We've set the stage. Now I want to get into the books because you, my friend, as of the day we are recording this, you've got a book birthday for your brand new middle grade novel, What Lane. Yes. It is exceptional. I love, I love this book. Yes. You know, um, I was recently uh, invited to speak at Joe's Pub for Speakeasy, and I was on the stage. And um, about a few weeks later, there was a, a poetry performance there. And this kid gets up, and he's a middle school boy, and he uses this term, drippy, you know, saucy. And with drippy and saucy, it usually relates to different things, including, um, you know, when you talk about praising something, get drippy with it, like lather it all on there, get mm. saucy with it, you know, <laughs> spread that sauce. So you said you liked what lane, let's get drippy with it. Let's get saucy with it. What did you like about what lane? Uh, I love for, so I've, I've, I know you from tight. I first fell in love fanboying hard over tight. I think when I track back, I always am tracking back with uh, some of my guests on this podcast of when do we start chatting on Twitter? When do we become Twitter aware? Tight right. was Twitter aware for me with you. And I am mesmerized by how well you write a tight novel. You write these like 100 or 150 page novels that have flow and depth and fully realized characters. And they know these novels and the characters in these novels know who they are. They know where they are. And they are exploring that area and giving us a chance to look in. But there's there's a confidence and and just a I don't know there's just a conviction or something there that that just feels true to me I felt like you've always shown me and your other readers the truth and in what lane I feel that same thing with Stephen and with how from the outset he's he's questioning his world and he's got parents that give him space to do that um, but he's also got, he's got a neighborhood where he needs to find his own place in, in how things work in that ecosystem. Yeah. Can I, can I just say something that was really tight that you just said? Yeah. It was, it was smooth how you used the word tight to describe my second novel, tight. I tried real hard not to do that, but I was like, is there another word for me to say? I don't think there's another word. <laughs> I was like, oh, take you out with the smooth, tight reference. <laughs> I mean, it's tight and it's tight, you know? It's like, it's, I guess it's three tights, but it's, it's just got, we talk about in picture books, making every word count, mm-hmm. but in, these middle grade narratives, we have a little bit more room to use words a little more fluidly. But why ever when telling a story, wouldn't we want to make every word count? And, and you do, you do really well. I also love, I mean, I fell hard for Steven right away, but I love that, that he loves comics I love that we're calling to uh, into the Spider Verse a lot. There were like these different yeah. things where I was like, "Please, please mention it again. Please do. Um, please mention it. Please mention it." There were things my like that. My family yeah. is from Brooklyn, and my family is mixed African American and Puerto Rican. So 
Miles Morales, half African American, half Puerto Rican, um, Spider Man of the Spider Verse, is the hero that I've been waiting for. I can you remember first reading that comic? So, I, interestingly, I, I saw the comic and. Then I saw the comic again, but I never really flapped it open and looked at yeah. the comic. Um, I think that goes back to my PTSD as a reluctant reader. How about that? As a reluctant reader, you know, um, it takes a lot of encouragement and uh, selling from people around me to actually pick up a book and say, okay, so this is worth reading. This isn't trash. I'll read it. And so I've seen that comic, but didn't really get into the, um, the the literary component of it. I got into YouTube, seeing the video gaming aspect of it. And then, then the movie came out and the movie just like completely spoke to me for, you know, like it's common Brooklyn connection. It's common black Puerto Rican connection. It's common hip hop connection. It's, co- it's, it's common, um, centering young people as heroic connection all of those connections connect to me and connect to you know my work as a teacher and as a as a writer i want to return to something you said about tight you said you read tight and you said the characters felt so real each character felt real and that goes back to uh, my mom when my mom would get the chance she would take me out of our housing projects in brooklyn and would walk me by the hand to, and my mom is funny. My mom is the type of mom who would say, we're just going to call you a lot. I don't know if you have a a mom like that, but I know my mom was the type of every little thing, and anything you heard the word little, you got to get ready, because it was a lot. And so she said, we're going to take a little walk, and we would go to these bookstores, and we would listen to authors speak. And she only asked me one question at the end of each author talk. How did you feel about that person? And that's how my students are. My students are like, if, if, if someone comes and they're too wordy and the words are just fluff, the kids tell me, Mr. T, I'm not feeling him. Mr. T, I'm not feeling her. And so I take that to the laptop. And whenever I write, I ask myself, is what I'm writing real? Will the reader feel it? And if they're gonna if they're gonna feel it, and if it's real, then it ends up on the page. Where, where, or how did you first meet Stephen? How did he walk into, or his story walk into what lane? Walk into your writing life? You know, um, as a seventh grade boy, I really became, my eyes popped open about race because it was around the seventh grade that I really shot up. Like, you know, when Stefan has that conversation with his dad in the book, he asks his dad, you know, how come this stuff is happening to me all of a sudden? And the dad tells him, because you shot up. And the world is starting to see you maybe how the media shows black men you know as threats as troublemakers and it was in the seventh grade for me that 
I started noticing certain stares when I went into stores. I noticed people who, you know, would come onto trains and instead of sitting next to me like they used to, because I was a cute little, you know, black Latino boy, they would start to move away from me. And it, it really stirred something in me. It stirred something in me so strongly that we had a writing assignment. And I wrote this short paper and I titled it The Penny and the, and the Dime. And it was me trying to make sense of why my life as a brown penny was so devalued and the life of my white friends had 10 times more value, it seemed, like a dime. Was it because of my brown complexion and their shiny complexion, their shiny, you know, lighter complexion? And so I wrote that article, I wrote that, um, that report for the teacher, and I will never forget what happened. After she read it, she handed back the papers, and she said, I would like to talk to you about this. So I waited after class. I said, yes. She said, I would like your mother to come up to school. And I said, why would you like my mom to come up to school if I could ask? She said, um, I don't think you wrote this. She was accusing me of plagiarism. So I went home. I told my mom. And my mom flipped. And my mom is one of the most gentle souls you'll ever meet. She's short. But she's like Yoda, you know. She's tiny. She's full of the force. Yeah. And, and my mom went to school the next day with me. She met with the teacher. And the teacher said, listen, you know, I, don't, I don't take plagiarism lightly. And my mom interrupted her and said, I'd like to tell you that I saw my son write every single word of that. And it was at that moment that the teacher had turned around. She took 180. And she so told me, and what she told me was so revolutionary that it was the first time that I really believed I was a writer. She told me, she said, well, if you sat and you wrote all of this down, I really believe that you're a writer and I'll help you become one. And that was the blossoming of me as a writer, but it was also the blossoming of my trying to take the issues that I would talk about in what lane and put them on, on the page. And it, it took me traveling from being a seventh grader all the way now to figure out how to say it. Because when I was in the seventh grade, there wasn't a book like What Lane. Mm. And when I was in the eighth grade, there wasn't a book like What Lane. And if you fast forward along the timeline, all throughout my life, even as an educator, I've never found a book that I could say, this book is 126 pages. This book is a book that you probably gonna feel like it should be a movie. This is a book that I, I think you're not gonna wanna put down. But this is a book that's going to teach you some important things about confirmation bias. It's going to teach you some things about police brutality, about allies, about white privilege, about criminalization of kids. And, and, I, and I hope that I got it right. I hope that I was able to talk about these things in a way that's unputdownable. Unputdownable. Well, I, first off, I'm writing down unputdownable because that's freaking brilliant thank you um, or you could you can accredit it to tori i will um and, it went, and now right here it's about to go 
down it went down with <laughs> second i owe stefan an apology because i'm mispronouncing his name and oh, that's not- okay I, I did a virtual visit earlier and they were saying Stephen the whole, whole time and i had to i had to just say if you go back to the first pages of the book um you'll you'll hear him say it's actually like the second page he says that he looks like a young stephen curry yep and people call him stephen hey stephen curry and I'm realizing as I'm thinking of my students too how I processed this book because I said to you when I reached out to Twitter to to cross fingers about a potential interview I said I've been listening to you read me your story because Tori you do the audiobook for what lane and you do a phenomenal job but as I'm sitting here holding my arc the print copy I'm realizing I never touched the book I never I never saw your characters' names oh. on paper. I'm like, I wonder if there's something about seeing a name or whatever over and over repeated that in your brain you link that pronunciation or that whatever. It takes me all the way back to third grade when I was reading a novel, third or fourth grade, I was reading a novel for a class. Um, and I should say I didn't read novels as a kid. So this was this is probably the first and last thing I ever did. Um, but the word cooperation kept coming up for some reason over and over in this book and i stopped reading the book because i couldn't understand what cooperation meant and i was like Mm -hmm. i can't understand this so i just stopped and i wrote the book report based on the cover of the book um and there's the true story from matthew winter um but i digress i thought where where stefan takes us in this book in just the way that he or you or you together speak out truths was so powerful. And I'm wondering, though you did a brilliant job reading to all of us on the audiobook, I'm wondering if humbly I can ask if I can read to you now. Oh my goodness. Uh, your question to me is a question that I'll never say no to. The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of the Children's Book Podcast can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter WINNER. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. Um, one of my, my biggest joys is to hear what I write, read, and spoken by other people. I would love to then read on page seven, no less. Can I read um, along with you? Can I, I'm gonna I'm gonna open up to page seven, please. and as you read, I'll just read in my head. Please, uh, from page seven is to me the first moment where we get this sense of of what is going on in Stefan's life. Stefan has a bracelet that says what lane from one of his favorite um, basketball players. He has his bracelet, but this, 
Um, can, I, can, I, can I read, read the, the bracelet part? I would love that. You got that? Okay, That's here's, just a couple yeah, I got before. it right here. On page three, we first find out about the bracelet that you see Stefan tugging at on the cover of Wet Lane. And to give context to that bracelet, I would like to read this paragraph. Last year, I got it on a school trip to a Barclays Center basketball game. There, this player, Marshall Carter, nicknamed MC, was on that next level. He kept scoring any way he wanted. Everyone else had a lane. They had sick passes, swish, and half-court shots. Marshall was wavy in every lane. He batted three pointers, passed like, whoa, into crossovers that made guys fall on their butts. And almost every time he scored, he'd yell, what lane? And what lane? Flashed on the jumbotron. He had no lane. That day, I bought MC's bracelet after the game. I wanted his saying on my arm, what lane? I want to be that in every lane. Have no lane. Yes, that next, next level. Ah, I love that. So we're, we're, um, where we are now, uh, we heard that the old super in his basement had these Halloween costumes. So um, Stefan and his friend Dan want to go check it out. And um, I'm going to start here at the bottom of seven. It says, we slowly creep down the ramp and don't even get halfway when a guy pedaling fast, fast on a mountain bike flies past us. Top speed, me and Dan sprint up the ramp and back outside where Junior, our new super, shouts from where he's fixing a window up on the fire escape. He's mad, waving his fist at the biker. Come back here, thief! And then he yells at us. No, at me. That boy your friend? Dan is SOS, stuck on stupid. So am I. Huh? Junior's asking if he's my friend? Dan yells up at the fire escape. No, we don't know him. What happened? Aye, that's my bike. I keep it down there. He took it. Junior waves Dan off and points at me. You, you know that boy. He's not asking, he's saying. What? I'm shocked. No, why would I know? Junior interrupts me. You told your friend to take it. Just then, three things hit me. First, Junior is for real and swears I know that bike thief. Second, he automatically feels Dan is innocent. Then, as I realize the third thing, it comes out of my mouth. Because we're black. Dan hears me. What? Dude, Junior thinks me and that bike thief are tight since we both black. Nah, I don't think so. Junior's eyes now laser in on me and he starts cursing in Spanish. Dan yells up at Junior, Don't be mad at us. Be mad at you. This is your fault. If you locked up your bike, you'd have one. Come on, I tap Dan. Forget him. As we pass the trash dumpsters, dumpsters, he fist bumps me so we can split into our separate buildings. But before he leaves, Dan says, Stefan, Junior was foul. Like we did something bad. In my head, I think, No, not we. He was foul. Like, I did something bad. I think, one, I think you read way better than me. And I was so nervous reading because I was like, you have literally read the audiobook and it's so good. And now I'm going to read after you. Lord. <laughs> but two, um, I, I hope that that passage also gives a sense of how, how fast moving this book is. And just how quick Stefan is to take in to assess what's going on 
in his world. I do not think it's a coincidence that you pair into the Spider-Verse with what's going on in his life, because I think those Spidey senses for noticing things and asking and questioning the reality of of how Stefan perceives things versus how his white friend perceives things is really, really important for readers to pick up there. You know, it's funny that you say that, you know, I there's no coincidence in my interlacing Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse with the book What Lane, because there was no coincidence. Um, it's a spotty sense that marginalized kids of color or anyone who has to navigate a duality, they have that spider sense because they're more conscious. Um, they're they're um, getting more. They're getting hit with more. So, you know, um, their brain is rewired. Um, I once heard this quote. It's amazing. It says, the human brain is wired for connection, but trauma rewires the human brain for protection. And that's Spidey sense. So we have tons of, I have tons of students who they walk around and their spider senses are tingling. They're, they're trying to figure out, wait, Mr. T, why did you just do that? If I could share a quick story, yeah. something like that recently happened. So I'm inside my classroom and during lunch, students love to come and visit me. And I believe 60 to 80% of the things that students want to avoid exists in the cafeteria. So if a student comes to me during lunch and says, can I sit in here? I'm all, I always say yes. So this one day, uh, some kids come in different from different backgrounds. And this one girl, she's Chinese, she always comes with her other Chinese American friend. And at the end of us hanging out with each other, the boys immediately start leaving. And they left so fast that I didn't have a chance to ask the boys. It wasn't conscious on my part. But the Asian girl was there and the other Asian girl was there. So I just asked them as two awesome helpers, can you help me? clean up the dominoes that we all were playing with. And the one Chinese American girl says to me, why did you ask me and her, not them? And in that moment, I had realized something. I realized, wow, her brain, like you said, to use your words, Matthew, was fast moving. And her antennas, her spidey sense was up. And it was set to racism and sexism. And immediately when she said, why did you ask me and not them? I realized the boys who had just ran out the room were one boys and two white. And she felt that I was asking her to be a helper because she was Chinese American. And I was like, oh my God. And I had to sit down and really have this conversation with her and like, it was, it was totally um, not because she was Chinese American. It's because she's always with me, helping me out. And, and because those boys ran out so quick, I would have asked them. But what it did do is it taught me that as an adult, as an educator, all educators, we have to ramp up our society sense and be hyper aware of, of, of transgressing. 
when it comes to um, young people and their otherness. We have to ramp up our spidey senses. Is is the feeling on my heart? And I read this book, and I'm hoping that you know, there's this great thing <laughs> experiencing middle grade as an adult, which is that you you feel not only that f- that folks see what it is to be a child now as well as expressing what it what it was to be a child for you but to read as an adult i feel also affirms what it means to have different children in my class in my library um for my 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 child to have friends that are from different religions and ethnicities and genders and sexual preferences and just from diverse backgrounds, just different to have different friends. And, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm grateful for those kids in your class teaching you that way, Mm -hmm. because I know that, so much of teaching is listening and that those kids teach me so much and we are currently on quarantine and it is hard for me to get to see kids and I know I'm not learning as much right now. I hope they are learning a lot. I know that I have this huge learning gap because I'm not in front of them living and learning together. You know, when you talk about that learning gap and as an adult, what we learn from young people that relates to my writing. Uh, I often am asked, how did you get the language down so right? Like, you know, I had had got emails from adults. Recently, I got this email from a tween who, and he asks, how did you write about a real kid? How do you know all this stuff? That's such a great compliment. Oh, my gosh. And and it's such a great compliment. And it circles back. You, me, educators, we are in a unique position to open up our ears, to ramp up our spidey senses, and really hear what kids are saying. And when it comes to me as a writer, I really listen. And I listen to the language that young people use so closely and keenly that when I write, I ask myself, how would this sound if this student said it? If she was saying it, would would she say it like this? And it gets to the point where my writing feels like an outer body experience where when I was writing Stefan's character, Stefan is mean as a middle school boy in so many ways, but at other times, I'm so into his character that I'm reliving the experiences that a lot of my young students are going through. So, you know, writing for me is a journey deep, deep, deep into a a rabbit hole of complex middle grade terrain. There are um, so many moments in this book that, that stuck with me so so vividly including where 
including the the abandoned building and the yes. the hand yes uh, including chad including climbing the the fence including the haunted house down below the building there were so many moments where i was like where where are we going where are you taking us tori where <laughs> are we going and I'm taking wherever real tweens and teens go. I was going to say, I, I was, I was, I, I felt like Stefan showed me that you, Tori, weren't taking me anywhere. Stefan was. I'm just following Stefan for a moment because it's all when we're working with children too. You know this. That's all we're ever blessed with is the time that we have with them. So I was listening so closely to Stefan and so closely to his parents and his friends and just what was going on in that world. And talking to you makes me feel so good knowing that I know you know this kid. I know you know this kid from who he is on the page, as well as the DNA that makes him up from all of the kids that you know and you teach and you have taught. And I'm, um, going, mm. I'm going to let you in on a, a secret in recording the audiobook. So... um. A lot of people don't know this, but with Penguin Random House, after the the author's book is recorded, the author is asked to do something, a segment called This is the Author, and we're asked these questions. And one of the questions that was asked after the recording of What Lean was, if I could choose anyone, and my budget was limitless, to narrate what lane? Who would I choose? And I had said, <laughs> I asked, do you know Hamilton, the musical? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Hamilton, the musical has so many amazing songs. One of them is Who Tells Your Story? Mm. And for me, that song perfectly clicks with the hashtag own voices movement. I said in, in the booth, I spent my whole life trying to get the words out to tell the story of Stefan that like another song from Hamilton, I'm not going to give up my shot. I want to tell this story because I feel that someone who lived it needs to tell it. Yeah. And, 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 and another thing that happened in the booth that a lot of people don't know is the the director would stop me and say, you need to read this with more feeling. Listen, listen to what Stefan is saying. And there was one point where I stopped and I told the director, I said, you're telling me to listen to what Stefan is saying, but are you listening to what he's saying? Because if I read it, the way Stefan is saying it, I would start crying on the mic. And and there's some moments in there where you know you're you're up 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 and everything feels elated and joyful like a roller coaster ride and there are times where there are some valleys some peaks where Stefan goes through some stuff you you read the book so you know some stuff that Stefan goes through. I um I was there with him going through those things and um and I'm grateful for for 
the presence that Dan has in the story in that. Dan. Yeah, Dan Dan is my man. Dan. <laughs> in that you you've got every character in the story perfectly placed to be learning from one another and listening if if they choose to use those things on the side of their head and Dan does and Stefan leads and shows the way and and Dan Dan was my mirror in this book and um and seeing about how we check this white privilege of how we check our biases and how we how we are an ally you you brought that up earlier what it means and what it looks like to not just say it but to do it when you're in those situations um and when you're not when people are looking and when they're not tori it is a marvel to me that in 126 pages you so densely and what feels like so effortlessly laid it on the page but i'm so grateful that in those 126 pages so many children will see themselves and will feel affirmed and strong and valued and that their experiences will feel valued and validated as well at least i hope so Matthew, listen, if you keep complimenting what lane like this, it's going to be hard for me to end this interview with you. We, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying to find a place. All I know to do is to leave it with you and the kids. That's I, how, I, I, don't, I don't want it to end. That's I, I how, love what you're oh. saying. You know, this, this, what you're telling me about what lane is validating, uh, one of the things that you just said, I find particularly validating, and it's worth highlighting. You had said, the characters, all of the characters of what Lane fit with one another, how Dan fits with Stefan. And that reflects what I've learned, you know, in my plus 20 years of teaching. And as a, a human on this planet is that each one of us is a jigsaw puzzle piece in our larger picture of our human family. And that's what I was trying to lay out with what lane that everyone fits. You, you, even even Chad the hater fits because no, notice at the end of the book, and I don't want to give too much away about the book. So I, to, please, Matthew, pump pump my brakes if I start <laughs> to give too much away about the ending. But let's fast forward to the end when that thing happens to Stefan. And then Wes jumps in and Wes says, he's going to handle it. Yes. And Stefan tells him, no, you can't handle it. Dan, as a white kid and as the white relative of Chad, needs to go to Chad and handle it. Yeah, that, because think that, of what it's going to be like. That echoes when... I, you see these videos, you turn on TV, you turn on YouTube, and you see these videos where you even scroll through social media and you hear chats where people of color are telling white woke people, don't come and profess your wokeness and your awareness to us. You need to go back to your people and get your people. 
and help them become woke so that we don't have Chad's, we don't have Charlottesville, and we don't have other situations that that need to be named in our human timeline. That hold this could be like a five hour conversation. Goodness. Longer than your audiobook. The conversation about <laughs> about this is the it's peeling the onion. But I can't leave you without talking about Wes because who Wes is in relation to Chad and why Dan and Stefan think the Wes is that it's just to look at just relationships are so complex. Why would we ever, ever want to paint them as anything but complex? And you, again, in 126 pages, my marvelous friend, have shown that we don't need to sacrifice the complexity of what it means to be human and in relation to one another with we don't have to sacrifice that and still write a tight story where every word counts and things happen and characters reveal things about the nature of what's going on in life that helps us see through that lens that we need to see that this is going on right now. Look at what's going on. I found it. I found it to be so beautiful. I, I, for real can talk to you a solid three more hours, but I think that um, I think that the greatest place for me to end is putting my heart down on this recording and affirming the heart that you put down on these pages and asking people just to trust and go read and bring your heart into the book when you do, because there's, there's so much here that I think will really, just just experience it. Oh, I don't know where I'm going with that. Read the book. Feel the book. Live the book. I appreciate that. You, we're doing the audio. So, Matthew, you can't see that I'm wearing a wet lane shirt that was made for me by a librarian named oh. Roman Mendez. <laughs> and if you could see me right now, you would see that what you just said about wet lane has made my heart under, underneath my wet lane shirt balloon. Mm. It's definitely ballooning. Thank you. You are a, certainly a person that I cannot wait to meet face to face and say it looking you in the eyes. Until then, though, I have a job to do. And that is that I need to get ready to get back to that library. And I'd love to bring a part of this back with me. So, Tori... I'm going to see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Yes. That every one of us and every one of them deserves to feel seen, to feel heard, to feel centered, and that each one of us and each one of them matters in the jigsaw puzzle of humanity. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 550 episodes at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. 
All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cosy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.